I've been really blessed. Are you all being blessed here at the conference? Such a beautiful idea of coming together and learning about true education and agriculture. I wasn't the I wasn't here at the very beginning yesterday. I wanted to share why I chose to kind of put this breakout session together. So last year was my first time at the conference and there was a lot of teaching on homeschooling and how important it is and how agriculture and the homeschooling go together and learning a lot about um, what Spirit of Prophecy says about schooling and teaching our children like what our presenter this morning was telling us how it's better to wait until the brain is ready these were concepts I did not know and did not understand really opened my eyes and my understanding to a lot of things. And so I learned a lot about why we should do it. And then I wanted to know more about the how do we do it. So that was where the idea for this session came from. I wanted to do really practical ways of how to incorporate sort of this agrarian life into raising children. I myself don't have any children yet, um, but... I know that it's something in my heart. I would love to be a mother, and it's such an important job. I think it's the most important job on the planet. I think God would agree. Um, I work with pregnant, uh, pregnant mothers and children from age birth to five with my work. And so my heart is very close to that. And so that's why I wanted to develop this breakout session for moms and for children. Um, because, you know, children are such an important thing. And I admire mothers very much because it's a total surrender, isn't it? Just a total dedication. And fathers too. But I know with moms, it's a, it's a you know, oftentimes you're the one that's home with the child more often or you're the one that's really interacting with them all day. And so how are you to incorporate homeschooling and schooling your children in the agrarian life? There's a way to do that. And it's something that I aspire to do, and that's why I wanted Pam to share. And tomorrow, there's going to be a lot on specifics with how to homeschool. She's gonna, I told Pam, I want you to just go through a day in the life of Pam with her five kids, because she's homeschooled them all, living at Bountiful Blessings Farm. So she's going to do that for us tomorrow. And the, um, you'll look at the schedule. We have some other really great speakers also that's going to be really focused in on the agrarian life kind of homeschooling aspects. And um, today, with the intro and then the natural remedies and the preserving, and now I'm going to talk about simple recipes, because it all goes together, doesn't it? It's a lifestyle. And that's what we want to help people to understand how to do it. And it's a process. Just like anything else in life, wherever you're at, some of you may be living in a city still. Some maybe just moved to the country. Um, so there's a lot of different places where you're at, and we just want to be here to support every person in every place that they're at to learn how to achieve this agrarian life and living in harmony with nature, the garden, your children and your family, and God. Because we know that's the calling, isn't it? So um, it's about time to start now, so I'll just start with the prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you so much and thank you so much for this time that we have here together now. 
I pray that whatever I say would be an honor and a glory to you, Lord. We know anything that's good comes from you. So we just want to thank you for all the good things in this world. I especially want to thank you right now for every mother and child that is in this room. Thank you for the blessing of the children. And we just pray that what we teach here would be something to grow them up, Lord, so that they would know you better. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just want to reiterate, I love children. (laughs) And there's lots of them in this room, and it's just cool that this happens to be conveniently located next to the playground. We did not plan that. And there's a nice bathroom exit over here. It's just God planned this perfectly, didn't he? So wonderful. God is so good. So we thank every person for coming and for being here, and everyone has a handout. They're they're up here. If you don't, just raise your hand. So my name is Michelle Lesher. I'm going to try to speak in front of the microphone. I'm a registered nurse and a registered dietitian, but most of all, I'm the wife of Larry, and we we have Eastward Gardens as our ministry. So we have been farming for about nine years now. Just to give you a little bit of a background, uh, Larry and I, when we met, neither one of us were Christians. Uh, We came to the Lord together through a Sunday-keeping church. And then the Lord led us to learn the truths, the Adventist truths, which are so amazing, completely changed our lives. Um, I've been following a total plant-based diet since I was 16 years old, and I'm now 38 years old. So I've been following this diet well before I was ever a Christian, well before I was ever an Adventist, pursued uh, my career in nursing, and after I got finished, I thought, oh dear, I don't think I want to do this. (laughs) I really want to help people to heal, and I really liked the assessment and the caring and the nurturing part of it, but I really didn't like the giving out the medicine part. It really bothered me because I was giving some people some pretty heavy medicines that I knew were not good for them. So the Lord impressed me and Larry to table the nursing career and pursue a master's in nutrition so I could help people to learn to heal through food to prevent the medicines, and through the course of all of that, um, basically I went to a school called Bastyr University to get my master's, and that was in Seattle, Washington, and that was the very first place that Larry started farming. That was in 2006. He interned on an organic farm there, and the rest is history. Uh, We've been farming ever since. So I grew up in a home where my mom would cook dinner, Um, We lived in a very convenient home. I remember we ate dinner usually sitting in front of the TV and would eat lots of candy and chips and pop and things like that. I was not raised eating a really healthy diet. My passion for health food actually, believe it or not, started with my passion for the environment and animals. I cared about animals and the environment, and that caused me to learn and care more about through the course of a lot of mistakes, uh, caring more about what I'm putting in my own body. And so I'm happy to share with you as a registered dietitian that you can feed yourself and your families a total plant-based diet and be healthy and have vitality and feel good about that. So I'm going to help you with that because I know it's hard for moms because you want to give your children the best. You don't want them to be deficient, and, and I don't either. So I will walk you through that. We're going to start off with GMOs, though. Tell me here, does anyone not know what a GMO is? Raise your hand. 
Okay, good. So we can skip that part. So everyone knows what a genetically modified organism is. So what I'm going to do is help you to know how to avoid them. Does everyone here understand that they are not good for us to eat, right? They go against God's great design. And so what we want to do from our understanding of these things is avoid them in the food system. So that's where I'm going to start. So where does your scale weigh heaviest? Are you eating a lot of packaged foods? That's what that odd picture is there. That's a bunch of packaged foods. Or are you eating mostly fresh foods? When you're trying to avoid genetically modified organisms, where you get into your most trouble is in the packaged foods. If you're eating mostly fresh foods, it's not as difficult. Oh, sigh of relief, right? Because we don't want to eat packaged foods anyway, right? They're not that good for us. But aren't they using regular foods that genetically modified? It is normal food. Well, We'll get to that. So there are some fresh foods that are genetically modified, but the bulk of the problem is in packaged foods. 70 to 80% of the ingredients in packaged foods are genetically modified. That's a huge area of problem with GMOs. So how to avoid a GMO? One thing we're trying to teach here is how to grow your own food. So this is another benefit, not just for the health reasons, not just for the true education reasons, which is really the most important reason, us getting closer to God and our children learning from that, but also we're going to avoid the issue of GMOs. Wow, God is so good. He's given us a way of escape from this problem. Grow our own food. If you can't do that, maybe you live in a city and you don't have a house, you don't have an apart or a, a yard, maybe you just can't do it right now, it's not where you're at in life, then shop at local farmer's markets and talk to your farmers. We do a farmer's market, you would not believe this, someone is selling GMO corn at our local farmer's market to sell for sweet corn. Only about 2% of sweet corn in the United States is genetically modified, and one of them is at our farmer's market, which just kind of blew us away when we learned that. Know your farmer. Larry approached them and asked them. They were honest. They said, yes, our corn is genetically modified. So ask your farmer these questions. Um, a lot of farmers are knowledgeable about GMOs and are trying to avoid them. So ask them. When we're eating fresh and unprocessed foods, like I mentioned at the very beginning there, we're going to eat a lot, have a lot less chance of eating a GMO. And then there is a label now that is being put on packaged foods to help people to know how they can avoid a GMO. It's called the Non-GMO Project. Now this does not guarantee that what's in that package is 100% free of GMOs because one of the biggest problems with GMOs is that you can't control nature and things may cross-pollinate, cross-contaminate, so they cannot guarantee 100%, but they do a 0.9% or less guarantee. So that's something you can look for. So these are the GMO crops currently. Alfalfa, corn, sugar beets. So in our country, we used to sweeten things, packaged foods with, uh, excuse me, with cane molasses, sugar cane, sugar cane. What's happened since GMOs have come into our system is they now use sugar beets. So any kind of candy bar, anything that's on a food label that just says sugar, guarantee that's a GMO sugar beet that they're using, probably 90% of the time. 
So you always want to make sure if that says sugar on it that it's telling you that it's cane sugar. Cane is not genetically modified, but sugar beets are. Zucchini and summer squash, canola, soy, and papaya. So this is it right now as far as the crops. Now they're doing experimental ones with other things. These are the ones that are in the works. Rice, flax, wheat, and then relatives to squash, beets, and canola. So with this, we just have to learn how to eat and live differently. Do you know, we'll go back to this one. My husband and I, for probably the last four years, we've decided to cut all corn and soy out of our diet. Now for some people that's like, oh my goodness, I could never do that. But it's a process just like anything else. Do you know there's lots of other beans in the world other than soybeans? And you can eat a lot of things in life without eating soy and corn. Now, is it the, it's not like we're super happy about it, but it's where we're at because there's like ni over 90% of corn and 90% of soy in our country is now genetically modified. So we know Jesus is coming soon, right? We know that the food system is deteriorating. So like the gentleman said that very first night, let's be the head and not the tail and recognize we're going to have to modify our diets a little bit here. We can still eat healthy and wonderful foods. We just have to be smart. We need to avoid these things because these things are not of God, these GMOs. The Lord will help us to avoid them. I know that for sure. When we do the best that we can with what we have, we pray over our food and we're trying to avoid them, I believe the Lord will help us to do that. And we're going to come up with awesome recipes without any GMOs, and people are really going to be excited about that. None of your recipes I'm sharing with you today will have any GMOs in them. All right. So these are the ingredients that are derived from GMOs, that can be derived from GMOs. So again, this is in your packaged foods more often. Amino acid, the aspartame, ascorbic acid, sodium citrate, sodium ascorbate, vitamin C. Do you know they used to get vitamin C from citrus fruits? Now when you read it, it's coming from corn. GMO corn is where they get vitamin C from now. And they can put it on the label as vitamin C. It'll just say vitamin C. Now this doesn't mean 100% across the board. If I find, for instance, I'm a dietitian, so I might be working with supplements, I will call companies and ask them, where, where are you getting your vitamin C from? And some will still say citrus fruits. So if there's an item that you really like, whether it's a supplement or a packaged food, Call the company and ask them. A good company will be extremely transparent. They will talk to you and they will be nice to you. If they tell you they don't know or it's proprietary information, those are red flags. The answer is you don't want to buy the product anyway if they're not being transparent with you with where the things come from. But there are some supplements um, out there that they will still get from Citric because they realize that GMOs are a problem and they're trying to avoid them. So don't just give up on the ingredient completely. Investigate it a little bit further and give the company a call is what I would suggest. <coughs> Sucrose, ethanol, high fructose corn syrup, which none of us want to eat anyway, right? Hydrolyzed vegetable protein and TVP, that's a big one. Lactic acid, maltodextrins, MSG. So a lot of those meat analogs um, have a lot of GMOs in them, so keep that in mind. 
Xanthium gum and molasses, vitamins, and yeast. I was just sharing with a lady because they've, they either genetically modify yeast now for our bread making or they feed the yeast a GMO corn syrup to grow it. There's one company I know of that doesn't. That's the Rapunzel, so organic yeast. And then I've also learned how to grow my own yeast, which is a really fun thing to do. And if we have time at the end, I'll kind of go over that. If not, and you're interested, you can come see me afterwards and I can share with you how to grow your own. What kind of yeast are you talking about? For bread making. Mm. Yeah. So these are just, I just threw up a couple here of some good brands that I've researched on my own. The Wholesome brand, the Rapunzel, and the Wild Harvest and Mega Food for vitamins and supplements there. There are people and companies that really want to avoid these GMOs. So I would encourage you to understand that you vote with your dollars. If you buy a GMO, they're going to make the GMOs. If you quit buying the GMOs, they'll stop making the GMOs. That's just how our food industry works. It's a profit-making industry. So, you know, the very first GMO that came out was a flavor saver tomato. Everyone found out it was GMO. No one bought it. They took it off the market. So that's how it works. So if we stop buying these things and we stand firm in that, the profit will go down and they'll stop making it. So if you're still eating animal products of any kind, realize that GMOs are high risk. The gentleman the very first evening there that spoke on all the animal waste that people use for manures and things like that, you have to realize, uh, unfortunately, a lot of our animals are now being fed GMO grain, and then they're finding antibiotic gene-resistant markers in their composted feces that they put into the manure, I guess I should say, that they put into the garden. So. Milk, meat, eggs, and honey and other bee products. Do you know what is so exciting? This is so exciting. We, my husband and I have started growing on our farm with total veganic principles. So we're using all green manures. So we don't have to worry about this contamination process. And do you know the Lord is blessing us in that? This is only our second year of doing it. Before that, we always use manures because we understand that process and how it helps to grow food. Well, for the last two years, we have not used them. The first year was a struggle. But this year, we see all of our efforts, and I know the Lord is showing us. And that's where we talk about the ABCs of agriculture and education. It's a process a growth process, a journey. This is a journey. It's such an awesome thing. You know, we learn so many things in this journey. I learn every day something new, and I'm so grateful for it. So don't be discouraged that you can't eat these things. Be encouraged that God is going to show you a better way that we can be healthy and live good lives while we're here waiting for Jesus to come again, to have that clear mind so we can hear the Holy Spirit. Honey has become a problem, and you, uh, many of you have probably heard about the bee issue. We have a lot of problems with our bees dying, and there's several different theories about why that is happening. One of the theories is all the GMOs and the sprays and the pesticides that are going onto the produce. So because bees fly around to pollinate things, if I have a beehive and I'm growing corn, and my neighbor has a GMO corn that's you know, within a mile or two away that the bees might go to pollinate, 
They may be cross-pollinating things. That's one reason why. And then the other is just has to do with, personally, I don't want to support uh, industry that is hurting our bees. Our bees are our livelihood for farming in a lot of ways. I mean, we need our insects to be able to pollinate our, our produce. And then the other thing is a lot of beekeepers in the winter months will supplement a bee with some kind of sugar water. Oftentimes it's a corn syrup, which oftentimes is genetically modified. So we have to, um, I use maple syrup now mostly when I'm using sweetener just because of that issue. Now, if I, I would, at some point, we've had bees in the past. You can have your own bees if you know your neighbors, if you know you've got like a good five mile radius from any GMO crops, then you're probably safe to have your own bees and your own honey. I don't, I'm not necessarily opposed to honey altogether, but it's just, again, our world is waxing old, Jesus is coming soon, and this has become an issue, I think, in our food system. Do you think agave is any better? You know, in my research, Agave is not. Um, it's a very processed sugar. They kind of advertise agave as you harvest it from a plant, kind of like a cactus, and you squeeze the nectar out, and it's this healthy thing, but it's actually quite processed. Very similar to getting that corn syrup out of corn. They have to add things to extract it, and they have to cook it, and there's a lot of stuff that has to go into making agave agave nectar. That's my current understanding. I avoid it. So thank you, though, for that question. And, you know, I encourage you all, if, if you hear anything that I say and you're questioning it, go and look it up for yourself and research it for yourself. And if you come up with something different, let me know, because it's a journey for me, too. Food, being a dietitian, is, is really a struggle, because so many people have different ideas about food and what's healthy and what's not. And this is where you just go back to the basics in the Bible and living simply, and eating simply, and that's where really the joy comes in, because it makes it a lot easier if we just make it less complicated. So try to think, and we'll get to that. Here we go. Can you imagine it growing? So if you're, if you're thinking about eating something, think in your mind, can I imagine it growing? If you can't imagine it growing, don't eat it. I'll give an example. Marshmallows. Can we imagine a marshmallow growing? Only when we were kids reading Candyland can we imagine marshmallows growing. Okay, how many ingredients does it have? So you go to the produce department, and apple has no ingredients list. Right? It's just one ingredient. It's an apple. How long has the food been known to nourish humans? If it's in the Bible, grains and seeds and nuts and fruits and... What else am I missing? Beans. Lentils. Pretty safe that it's probably going to be a whole food. Is it part of a food? Do you have a question? About the maple syrup. Uh -huh. In your opinion, it's not that processed? <coughs> maple syrup is still cooked. So it's not like a raw, totally 100% unprocessed food. It's still cooked down. But my current understanding, it's probably the least of the concentrated sugars, because any sugar you get is going to be somewhat concentrated, because that's just what it is. So they're going to cook off the water to make it more concentrated. Now some maple syrups, they may act, add a defomer, which might not be that good, so you have to ask. Like our Amish neighbors will use olive oil as a defomer, which is fine. 
So that might be one question with maple syrup that you would ask. What do you put in there as a defoamer? But other than that, I think all they do is boil it, boil off the water. It's just a very, very little bit to defoam it. I don't know that it would have an effect for how big it is, but yeah. But whole fruit definitely is the best sweetener. If you can sweeten with dates or raisins, anything like that, that's the best. Awesome! So we want to buy some of your maple syrup. You have to bring some next year. Wonderful. And maple syrup will have some minerals, not a lot, but it will have some. Where a lot of sugars don't really have much nutrition in them at all, just the sugar, maple syrup will have some min a little bit of minerals in there too. So, Okay, so just to restate it so everyone knows, with the maple syrup, when you're researching it, one question you might want to ask is um, having to do with the... Um, tools that they're using to, to boil it, whether it's the pot or the kennel or what, did, what was the other term? Oh, the, taps. the taps. The taps or the pots. There can be lead contamination, so that's something to ask about. So thank you for that insight. Okay, next. Is it part of a food or is it a whole food? So, um, for instance, oranges versus orange juice. So we know oranges are better because there's more fiber, right? You lose all that with the orange juice. Now, orange juice isn't bad. It's just not as good, right? So you kind of look at it like it's on a continuum. Good, better, best kind of thing. I think the issue with the made-from-concentrate has to do with the processing again and the high heats that are used and trying to make sure it's sterile. I think that has partial to do with it. Um, and then... Making sure that even though it says juice from concentrate, you want to make sure it's 100% juice with nothing added to it. And this is a good point. Simple living, right? We want to get juice in the purest way, making it ourselves if possible. The less we have to depend on things from the store, the better off we are. And that's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. But just think of that. You know, the more we look into these things, the more we're researching, the more issues there are. So what do we want to do? We want to be self-sufficient with God's help, right? We don't want to have to depend on a store to get the things that we eat and drink. So, and really, water is the best drink of all, right? We don't need juice necessarily. Better to eat the whole fruit and drink water, right? So that would be the ultimate direction to go in. Good questions, though. So lastly, what has been done to the food since it was harvested? So the food we brought at the exhibit there, the tables, all we did to that food was harvest it and rinse it off and sell it. And that's it. Isn't that exciting? You don't have to do anything else. It's not that complicated. We didn't have to add bleach to it. You know, it's healthy food that came from healthy dirt. And, you know, that is such a blessing that we can feel that good about giving that food to other people and knowing that it's safe. There's, there's not a chance for cross-contamination in our food. Now look at this. This is not normal, is it? So I work with pregnant, parenting, adolescents, and, and moms. And I had a, one of my clients e uh, texted me, my tomatoes that I bought at Walmart are sprouting. Is this normal? And I said, no, this is not normal. She was trying to describe it to me. I said, well, send me a picture. And this is what she sent me. She said, should I eat it? I said, no, don't eat it. That is not normal. 
So this is what's going on in our food system. I cannot even explain to you what is going on here. I have no idea. All I know is that this is not normal and it was a tomato bought at Walmart. She opened it up there and little sprouts were coming out of the seed. I don't know if this is from like irradiation. I'm not really sure. It's something I've never seen, but this just shows you we have to get in the mindset that this is not a drudgery. Jesus is coming soon. This is a sign. It's in the Bible. Let's be happy about moving to a direction of more pure food that we grow, that we know where it comes from, that's not from big companies like Walmart. And let's be excited about it because it's the time we're in and we can do this together, you know, press together and gain insight and support from one another. We don't have to feel like we're doing this alone because we're all in this together. And it's an exciting time. Don't eat tomatoes from Walmart is all I have to say. <laughs> Did you know that most produce that you buy at the store is harvested unripe? And then later they will ripen it using gas, some kind of gas. Did you know that there are more nutrients in fruits and vegetables when you harvest them ripe? Did you know that produce will taste and digest better at the farmer's market? We have people come to us and say, you have the best tomatoes we have ever tasted. What do you do? We say, it's, it's God, because we don't do anything. We're just planting the seed and watering the seed and weeding around the seed. And God is making this amazing tomato. Praise the Lord for that. Did you know that some produce may be sprayed after it's harvested? So we get concerned about what's being done to the plant while it's in the field, but they actually spray produce after it's harvested, which is, think about how much more contaminating that is to us because it's right there topically on that food. More bioactive compounds are found in produce grown without chemicals. Bioactive compounds are like the plant's immune system. That's how I like to describe them. Things like lycopene and... Um, things like that that are um, in the fruits and vegetables that help them to thrive help our bodies as well. And those are higher in organically grown foods without sprays and chemicals. So a total plant-based diet, I'm checking my time here, total plant-based diet is adequate nutrition for you and your family. So at this point, because I'm, I have a lot more to share and I'm, I love to take questions, hold them for me till the end, and then we will see if we have time to, to do that more at the end. So did you know that there's more calcium in a cup of collard greens than in a glass of milk? Who here knew that? Raise your hand. That is awesome, isn't it? When I was in school for nutrition, they didn't teach me that. They didn't tell me that you could get as much calcium in a cup of collard greens. That's just exciting to me. Superfoods to eat every day in your diet. If you want to be healthy on a plant-based diet, you have to love fruits and vegetables, grains and seeds, nuts and legumes. You have to. If, if you're not, you're going to miss out on something nutritionally. So kale, collards, chard, and purslane, I call these the superfoods. Try to incorporate those in your diet every day if possible. We're going to talk more about purslane because that's a new one for a lot of people. Beans and grains and nuts and seeds. We want to have these in our diets every day. Common questions and myths. Can you get enough protein on a plant-based diet? How about calcium? Well, I don't think we can get B12. 
What about vitamin D and iron? Omega-3 fatty acids, I thought we had to eat fish to get those. And what about if I'm pregnant? I don't know about being pregnant on a, on a plant-based diet. My baby might not have enough nutrition. So I'm going to help dispel all the myths here in the next few minutes. Protein. Look at all the protein we have in the plant-based family. And, you know, protein is one of those things that really people in our country get way too much protein. So this is one thing I have to tell you. If you're worried about protein on a plant-based diet, it's probably one of your least concerns of all of them because it's in a lot of plant-based foods. The beans and the grains, you're going to get 16 grams in a cup of lentils, which is almost equivalent to three ounces of meat. I think three ounces of meat is like 25 grams or something. Nuts, seeds, broccoli. Did you know broccoli had four grams of protein per spear? I did not know that. And when I learned that, I was really excited because they don't teach you that in nutrition school either. So broccoli is a good source of protein. Sprouted mung beans. Do you know there's not a lot of research done on sprouts? If I could do research, that's what I would do research on. Because I believe that we can get a lot of nutrients from sprouts. You can't really prove it because no one's done research on it. But there's something that goes on there. Like they've, I know that they find B12 in wheatgrass. So I don't see why they wouldn't find B12 in the um, sprouts. We know also B12 can be in the dirt, in the soils. So we'll, get, we'll do more on B12 too. But sprouted mung beans have a lot of protein. Calcium, I got this chart out of Neil Nedley's book, Proof Positive. Oh, and I meant to say with my five-question system there, I got that from a teacher at Bastyr University. She gave me that. Um, I learned that from her. So the dark leafy green vegetables are really high in calcium, mustard greens, beans, and sesame seeds. So B12 is a little trickier. Now, before we had all these problems with our food system. Our soils had B12, bodies of water had B12, and we actually make B12 in our mouth and in our intestines. The problem is now our soils are depleted of any good bacteria. Um, well, I should say also B12 is the only vitamin that's actually made from a bacteria. The bodies of water, because now we sterilize all of our water, um, it's either you know chlorinated or filtered or whatever, we're going to lose any B12 that might be in the water. And then we do make some in our mouths and we do make some in our intestines, but the problem is that has to get into our stomachs where the B12 matches up with intrinsic factor so we can absorb it. And maybe because of toothpaste and mouthwashes and maybe because our bowels aren't the healthiest we're not making it as much as we used to at one point in time so a lot of people on a total plant-based diet can be deficient in b12 which is a significant thing i would encourage you if you think you may be deficient find out what your b12 level is don't just think you are automatically because you're a vegan if it's something that's concerning you then look into it and see if you are wheatgrass has one microgram in three ounces. You only need about three micrograms of B12 a day, not very much. B12 will store longer than any other vitamin for up to six months. And then you can find some true B12 in a freshwater algae called chlorella. And then it's also in foods fortified. And then 
if you have to use a supplement because of where we're at in the earth today and we can't get an adequate amount, I recommend that mega food company. I don't get any money from them. I just researched them and they, I asked them very detailed questions and they could tell me that the B12, any B12 that's made has to be grown on some kind of sugar. That's just how they grow it and make it because it's from a bacteria. And they use rice syrup. They don't use corn syrup. So that's a company, if you have to take a B12 supplement, that you could use. Vitamin D. I love to tell you about vitamin D because it has to do with the garden, doesn't it? So if we're out in the sunlight, we will get vitamin D. Now, my husband and I were living in South Dakota for three years working at the Black Hills, and I cannot tell you how many clients I had there that told me, you cannot get vitamin D in South Dakota. And I have to tell you that that's not true. You can get vitamin D in South Dakota. It depends on the time of year and the time of day. So vitamin D, you're going to get it in the highest amounts of time between 10 and 2. And usually it's going to be in the early fall, summer. Am I saying that right? Summer, early fall, and then the springtime in the... I'm saying it wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. Summer early fall, and late spring. There we go. That's when you're going to get the most vitamin D. Now, what you have to caution against is burning. Burning is bad. If you burn your skin, that's what puts you at increased risk for skin cancer. Now, if you're someone that has a history of skin cancer, I would not recommend getting out in the sun. That might be where you might have to take a supplement of some sort. But if you're not one that has a history of skin cancer, if you're wise about it, and you can get some sun exposure, you know, it's one of our health principles, that sunlight. Mm -hmm. If you can get some sun exposure for, it doesn't take a whole lot. This, uh, you know, if you're someone that always burns and never tans, when your UVB is greater than 3, you only need 10 or 15 minutes to get enough for one day. That's not very much, is it? And it's not going to let you burn. So this chart is a nice chart I found online. UVB has to be greater than 3, and they say the peak times are around 10 and 2, and you just don't want to burn, so be moderate with it. But you can get enough vitamin D from the sun still. Now, vitamin D will store for about 3 months. So the concept there is you get enough through the season where, it's a, where you can get it, and then it will store through the winter. Iron is high in green leafy vegetables. Blackstrap molasses, pumpkin seeds, millet, figs, dried apricots, legumes. Look at that. One cup of lentils has more iron than a three ounces of liver. And liver is what doctors used to recommend for high iron when people were anemic. You could just have eaten lentils. Stinging nettles and lamb's quarters. Who here has had lamb's quarters? Isn't it delicious? I love this stuff. It's a weed in most gardens, and it is like a superfood. It is very high in calcium and iron both. And then we know if you consume vitamin C, foods high in vitamin C along with foods that are high in iron, it will help you absorb the iron. This is purslane. I love purslane. It grows wild, but you also can plant it and cultivate it. It is very, very high in omega-3 fatty acids. It's also high in vitamin A and vitamin E and C. 
You can also get omega-3s from turnips, spinach, avocado, flaxseed, and walnuts. One tablespoon of flaxseed a day can get you 1,500 milligrams of omega-3s. Pregnancy. Now, I am a registered dietitian, and all registered dietitians in this country are credentialed through an organization called the American Dietetic Association. They came out with a position paper, and this is a quote from their position paper. With careful attention, a vegan diet can be safe and helpful for infants, children, teens, pregnant and lactating women, older adults, and athletes. And I always point out here, the key is with careful attention. Now, I couldn't think of anything, I mean, I could think of other things, but it would be very top of my list of what I want to pay careful attention to is what I put in my body, right? That's just common sense. We've lost that in our country. It's become really low on the totem pole of importance. Uh, it's more of convenience and what tastes good. But we know that that's not the way to go. We know that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and what we put in is very important. So with careful attention, we can get all the nutrients that we need in a plant-based diet. I recommend three Brazil nuts a day. All you need for your selenium needs in, in a day is three Brazil nuts. I also recommend a handful of pumpkin seeds a day because that's going to give you the zinc that you need. Those things are a little bit harder to get your whole amount in a plant-based diet. Um, but if you have any other questions specifically, come to me afterwards or we'll see if we have time at the end here. Tips. Don't overcook your greens. It will make them bitter. I can't tell you how many times at market, oh, I, my mom cooked me kale when I was younger and it was awful. Or, oh, the chard is awful. And I think, wow, how could they say that? It's so delicious. Well, I learned that if you overcook them, they will become bitter. And back in the day, boiling your greens was what people did. They just boiled them and boiled them and boiled them until they became bitter. So I just quick cook, two to five minute cook is all you need with the kales and the chards if you're going to cook them or braise them or saute them or add them to your soup at the very end and just kind of wilt them in the soup and then they taste better. Fresh herbs enhance the flavor of any dish. Whenever I have family or friends over and I've made a tomato sauce of some sort and I put those fresh herbs, oh my goodness, you couldn't even count the compliments. So many people are like, this tastes amazing and I'm like, all I did was put some fresh herbs in it, you know, nothing different. Fresh herbs are amazing, and they grow really easily. They're beautiful to look at. I love growing herbs. Soups and crock pots are your friends. So if any of you were at Larry's lecture earlier, you heard that I work full-time 40 hours a week, and then as soon as I get home, I change my clothes and go out to the garden, and I calculated probably about another 30 hours I put in the garden. I wish it was the other way around, and I was on the garden full-time, but that's our goal and our dream is that someday I can quit my job and be full-time on the garden. But with that said, I cook all of our meals from scratch. So I use the crock pot a lot. And I just encourage you, for those of you that have busy lives and have children and lots of hours in the day that have to go towards something other than cooking, you can still cook healthy, total plant-based, from scratch foods using crock pots. Also making big batches and using leftovers. I do that a lot. For this trip, I cooked and prepared all of the food that we brought for us and our friends that came along with us. Things like oat burgers that you can make 24 of them in a batch and bring and freeze. Um, homemade tortillas I love to make or crackers, things like that that 
come travel well, granola, things like that. Don't be afraid to make a recipe your own by adding or subtracting ingredients. And that's what we're going to talk about for like the last 15 minutes is our simple recipes. And then here's an example I talked about earlier. Uh, we don't use vinegar. So a lot of recipes will call for vinegar. Don't say you can't use the recipe, just substitute lemon juice. A lot of times I see a recipe that looks really good, but I don't have a certain ingredient, or maybe it calls for milk or cream or butter, and I just totally substitute stuff. I'll use cashew milk instead, or I'll use um, maybe some olive oil instead of butter, and then a lot of times it just comes out way better anyway. So don't be afraid to change up the recipe and experiment. So now we're going to get into some recipes. So your handouts, this is our CSA newsletter that we put out every week in our CSA box. And I do these, I love doing the newsletter. We talk about the produce, about this week's produce, and then I always give a recipe trying to use some of the ingredients that we're giving them in the box. And so it's an educational ministry here. So you'll see how nutritious arugula is, it talks about how it's high in the B vitamins and A and C and K and iron. Talks about red Russian kale and how it's high in vitamin A and E and C and B. And you can use these things in the pesto recipe. And I always like to make the recipes ones where you can add and subtract things on your own. So you'll see that second line for the recipe there. You can use pine nuts or you can use walnuts. Pine nuts, organic tend to be quite expensive, so I do organic walnuts instead. Now someone asked me earlier, could you do this without the olive oil? And you can. You could use whole olives instead of olive oil, and that would work. I've done that before. Um, you'll see where it says there to use fresh basil, kale. You can use broccoli or cilantro or parsley. I love basil cilantro pesto. Mmm, it's so good. I love making that. So this is a good example of how you could use a lot of different things. Now, pesto freezes very well. All I do is I cut a little circle of parchment paper and put it on the top to prevent freezer burn and stick it in the mason jar and the little mason jars in the freezer and it will freeze that way really well. Pesto is wonderful all winter long. So it gives the directions there on how to make it. And it's a simple recipe that I hope you all enjoy. Okay, so what do we have here next? So one of the things we talked about with Deidre's lecture is we as the farmer's wives, there's a lot of food left over and you feel a sense of responsibility to do something with it. I do a lot of canning, but I also have found recipes that will use a lot of the ingredients. So my next one is ratatouille. And I've modified this to kind of be my own, but I absolutely love ratatouille. So when you have a lot of tomatoes, make ratatouille. Because it takes a lot of tomatoes and it cooks them down and it's wonderful. You can put eggplant in ratatouille, summer squash, green beans, any of the herbs we talked about. You can be really versatile with it. You can even put the kales and the collards and things at the very end of it if you want. It's kind of like your catch-all throw-in ingredients for. I love ratatouille. You can serve it with pasta or you can serve it over rice. Either one of those. And those fresh herbs really do make a difference. 
So, and on the left there, you'll see, um, we like to grow kind of different varieties of things. That's what keeps people intrigued and it's excited. So if someone's never seen a haricot green bean or this summer squash, that's a zephyr summer squash, they're tri-colored. People get excited about that. What's this? You know, I've never seen this at the grocery store. So when you're making your choices and selections for seeds and things to grow, experiment with things that are different because that excites people to try new and exciting different things. We brought some purple sweet potatoes with us, our first time ever growing purple sweet potatoes. We grow purple carrots. People love purple carrots just because they're purple. <laughs> they taste just like a regular carrot, but they like them because they're purple. And that's fun, you know, for people to get excited about what they're eating. So I encourage you to experiment with getting different things and when you're purchasing your seeds, to get different seeds. Now here's uh, a picture of the greens in the field. These are different mustard greens that are growing in the field. We grow about four different kinds of mustard greens. And then here's a picture of Larry with all the kale abundance that we had this year at one time. So all this kale can be overwhelming. You know, we have leftovers at market and kale chips was something I shared earlier. Um, for those of you, I'll give you the recipe. You just take a half a cup of lemon juice. And I'll just make this mention too. On each newsletter at the bottom is our website for our farm. And on our website for our farm is every newsletter that we've done for the season. And there's more recipes and the kale chip recipe is on there also. So you can go that route or I'll just tell you it right now as well. So half a cup of lemon juice with a half a cup of tahini, half a cup of water, then one teaspoon oregano, one teaspoon parsley, and one teaspoon sea salt. And you're going to blend that in a blender till it's smooth. You're going to pour that over your kale. And I, make, I just use my hands. It's easier to kind of break the kale up into bite-sized pieces. Not bite-sized, but about that big. I don't know, yay big, maybe three by three. And um, massage that liquid into the kale. Till it's all nice and coated, and then I use anywhere from two to three bunches, and then dehydrate it, and it is delicious. Really good travel food too. But we've also included an easy braised green recipe in here. We want to try to eat greens every day. We want to be healthy on a plant-based diet. We want to try to eat greens every day because they are super good superfoods. And over here I talk about rainbow chard and how good and healthy it is for you with all the vitamins and nutrients in it, telling you what it has. It's got the vitamins C and E and K and the Bs, calcium, zinc, selenium, carotenes, magnesium, potassium, iron, and more. My goodness. And the cool thing is, is there's ways that we can make sure that our soil has all those nutrients in them so that the food we're eating has them. So that's where these um, breakout sessions about learning about the soil and minerals in the soil are going to help us with that. This is our purslane salad. So this is one of my favorite foods. When we first started farming, I always volunteered to pick the purslane because I would pick one and eat one, pick one and eat one, pick one and eat one, because it's so good. It, oh, it was like, I felt like I'd just been, I don't know, just felt healthier after I ate it. So 
Purslane is unique though because it's high in omega-3s. It's what they call mucilaginous, kind of like okra. However, it, if you take, you see the picture there of the plant. If you just clip the leaves off, kind of pluck the leaves off the stem and chop the stem, don't chop everything, then it's not slimy. It doesn't get slimy. So keep the leaves whole and chop the stem. Put that in and you've got your recipe here. Put that with the tomatoes and the cucumbers and the fresh herbs. You can use olive oil, you don't have to. And then the lemon or lime juice with a little bit of salt. Oh my goodness, it's the best summer salad. It's so good. I call this one Michelle's purslane salad because I made that up. And then, actually I shouldn't say I totally made that up. The farm we very first started farming on one of our partners out there, she started making it, and I just jumped on the bandwagon. Okay, so then there's beets. A lot of our CSA members would say, I just don't know what to do with the beets, you know? Beets just aren't my favorite. And a lot of people struggle with beets. So when you're given a lot of beets, I think the best thing to do with beets is make borscht. I love the soup. But not everybody likes beet soup. So you can also roast beets. That's a very common thing that people like to do. Um, you can add beets to soup, other soups. And you can also just, if you boil them and then take the skin off and chop them up, you can put them in salads that way. And that's kind of what traditionally people are used to with beets. Beets are really, really good for your liver. You can overdo beets, though. You don't want to eat too many beets. It can give you a bellyache and can kind of upset your system if you eat too many. But a couple beets a day is good for your system. So this is an example of one of our dinners. Pretty simple, right? I've got my bread with the pesto, a little side salad, some hummus, some asparagus. This was in the spring when the asparagus was up, and this was an asparagus soup. Not super fancy, but super yummy and nutritious. And this is a picture of the chard growing in the field. Isn't that beautiful? I love rainbow chard. And there's a picture of Larry and I at the farmer's market stand. These are some resources for you all. The GMO Institute for Responsible Technology is a wonderful resource if you have questions or want to research it more. Seeds of Deception and Genetic Roulette, and that book is actually on one of the tables at the booths, I noticed. You can look at that there. There's something called the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. If you're you know, we're at a place now where we only eat organic foods. Maybe some of you can't do that right now. I would suggest looking into the Clean 15 and the Dirty Dozen. Um, these are, the Dirty Dozen is, all has to do with pesticide. That's it. Pesticide residue. Dirty Dozen are the ones that have the most pesticide residue and the Clean 15 are the least. So like an avocado, you know, you're going to have less of an issue. They don't spray those as much with pesticide and the idea there is the outer skin is thick you eat the inside, you're not going to have as much residue, whereas things that have a thin skin, like strawberries, tend to be very high. Apples tend to be very high. So look into that. The Dirty Dozen and Clean 15 changes every year. They test produce, and they find out what has the highest and the least residue of pesticide. This is my personal email. I would love to hear from any of you if you have any questions or need encouragement or have any ideas. Because remember, we're in this together, and Jesus is coming soon. So the more that we can do this together as a collective, 
We don't need to reinvent wheels. We had that lady share with us about her root cellaring. You know, these are things we all need to be learning more about. So if you have some insights, share it with us. And then also our farm email is eastwardgardens at gmail.com. And our farm website is just eastwardgardens.com. We do a blog. We like to keep people up to date with what things are going on. And like I said, I post the newsletters there. It's an ongoing process. So we encourage you to join our blog. So I think we have five minutes. Are there any questions or comments? Would anyone like to share anything? Or Yes, ma'am. Yes, that's a good question. So after they harvest potatoes, they will put what's called a de-sprouting agent on them. Because, you know, our potatoes, when we put them in the cupboard, they'll sprout little sprouts. That's a good sign. When they don't do that, that tells you that they've sprayed it with something that makes it not do that. What's that? They're on the dirty dozen. They are. So uh, potatoes are high on the dirty dozen list. So that's a good question. So best to buy those organic if you can, the potatoes. Well, it probably depends on the person. For some people, they can eat potatoes just fine without inflammation. You know, it's so interesting that she says this because we have a farmer's market customer that tells us she can't eat nightshades, but she eats ours, and they don't cause her to flare up. See, so if we're growing our own, it might be more the chemicals they're putting on the nightshades. Not that some people aren't totally allergic to nightshades, but for some, maybe it's more the chemicals that are being put on them after harvest or during the growth process. So that's an interesting comment. And, so, you know, potatoes kind of unfortunately get put in the bad category, but, you know, potatoes have been around for a long time. And during the Depression, they actually nourished a lot of people and they have more in them than just starch potatoes have nutrients in them so again i think it has to do more with our growing practices maybe the varieties of potatoes you know we don't want to clump these foods into bad categories necessarily just because of what they are you know a lot of people are doing that with wheat now all wheat is bad and i believe they have manipulated wheat and they're messing with wheat and they're making it not good higher gluten and it's causing a lot of issues but if we can get more heirloom varieties, older wheats, people have a lot less problems with them. Wheats that haven't been radiated or manipulated don't cause as much problems. So again, don't just say it's bad because it's a potato. It's more, there's more to it than just it being bad because it's in the... the okay, so we have two minutes. Should I talk about the bread really quickly? Yes. Okay. So I was on a mission because I heard that they're starting to genetically modify yeast or feed the yeast corn syrup. And I make bread a lot. So I knew that there was a way to make your own yeast. They've been doing it for centuries. But I also know Spirit of Prophecy is very clear on sour bread being bad for us. So a lot of homemade yeast breads are sour because they save the mother starter is what they call it, this yeast and it makes the bread sour. So what I have learned is I use raisins. I take one cup of raisins with one and three-fourths cup of water. You put it in a mason jar with a lid on tight. Once a day, you swirl the jar and you open it to the air. So the air has yeast in it and the raisins have yeast on them. And the yeast in the air and on the raisins are, are eating the sugar in the raisin. Now, you want to buy organic raisins when you do this. 
So every day, once a day, swirl the jar, open it to the air, and then put the lid back on tight. My understanding by opening it to the air, it kills off some bad bacteria that can't stand the oxygen. So you do that for about five days. On the fifth day, you have to totally commit to making bread, and it's going to be a couple-hour process, so be prepared for that. So that day when you open the jar, all the raisins will be floating to the top, and you'll open the jar and it'll, it'll pop, and you'll see the activity of the yeast. It's alive. So you strain the water from the raisins, and you have the liquid. Then you add flour to the liquid until it makes like a paste-like consistency, and then you wait an hour or so, and that will double in size. It will rise, and that's called a wet yeast. The key is you use that whole batch in your bread to make it rise. The problem comes if you save part of it, and you feed it, and you make it live, is what the sour bread comes out to be. That's what we want to avoid. So you just use that whole batch first time, and then any alcohol or anything that's produced in that process when you're cooking the bread is cooked off. And then we follow our counselor with waiting about one or two days after you break the bread to eat it. And that's where we can have good, nourishing, delicious bread with homemade yeast. So from that batch, you can make five loaves of bread. And um, if anyone wants the, the bread recipe, come up to me afterward. Or actually, better yet, email me personally and say, hey, at the conference you said I could email you for my bread recipe. Mm -hmm. And I'll email that to you. You can use them. Um, basically, they just turn into mush. They just kind of sweeten the bread. This is a sweet bread. It comes out to be not super sweet, but a sweeter bread. It's not sour at all. Um, you can. I typically don't. I typically throw those raisins away because I'm not making... I don't like to combine fruits with vegetables. And so if I'm eating my bread with lunch, it's just easier not to use the raisins. But if you were to make like a raisin walnut bread or something, then you could, I think. You know, it's not really, a, I shouldn't say it's a set five days. Once you see all the raisins floating to the top, and you'll see it very bubbly and active, that's when it's ready. If your house is warm, it will do that quicker. If your house is cold, it will do it slower. So it really depends more on when they're floating to the top. And then the opening it once a day, the first day you do it, you, don't, you count doing it as being open. So it would start the next day that you would open it again. And how long are you open? Just for like 30, like a second or two. Just open and close. Really quick. It's just enough. Now, if you find any molding or anything happening, you got to pitch it. No mold. You don't want anything like that. And I typically don't have any issues with that. I think maybe in the two years I've been doing it, two times I've had to toss it because of mold. Yes. So it's a very dense spread. That's a very good point. So if you're used to like a fluffy store-bought bread... This is like a dense loaf of bread. Um, my girlfriend, I gave her a loaf as a gift once. She was like, whoa, I could use this as a weapon. This thing is so heavy. <laughs> but the interesting thing is my husband and I have been eating it for so long. The store-bought bread, even whole wheat, we're like, wow, this is like paper thin. You know, it like tastes so different to it. So, yes, if you do not like dense bread, you will not like this bread because it's not going to rise super fluffy. And I do not add gluten to my bread at all. So it's not like a real fluffy bread. It's a dense bread, but it does rise. It'll rise to the size of the pan. It's just a dense. Okay, we're going to end on this question. This is a very good question. I, through all my research and understanding, um, I would avoid nutritional yeast. 
Um, there's two reasons why. One is that it is not something you can make yourself. Remember our question system? Can you imagine it growing? Can you grow it or make it yourself? Can it be in the field? No. Nutritional yeast is a proprietary information on how you make it and how you grow it. If you call companies and ask them how, you, how they grow it, they're very secretive about it. There's only about two main companies in all the United States that make it. And my understanding is nutritional yeast is grown where they have to use sugar again. And a lot of times, even if it says non-GMO nutritional yeast, they still might use corn syrup to feed the yeast because they're, the, the guidelines, and this is where it's, this is a step further in the process, when they isolate the sugar out from a plant because the GMO is found in the protein, if they're isolating the sugar out and using that, they can call it GMO-free because they're not using the protein of the plant. That's an issue, right, because we're still supporting the industry. So if you call the companies about nutritional yeast, there's not a single one in the United States that can tell you that they're not using a corn syrup that's non-organic. They'll tell you it's not GMO, but when you ask them where the corn comes from, if the corn is GMO, they cannot tell you that it's not. And so they used to use cane molasses to grow nutritional yeast. Now it's sugar beet molasses, which is GMO. So that's a big reason. Another reason is because I feel that it falls in the excitotoxin category. I feel like it's a... It's something that people get almost addicted to. I don't know if you've experienced that yourself or with other people. If you don't, like if you take their nutritional yeast away, it's like, where's, where's my nutritional yeast? I've gotta have it. I've gotta have it on my popcorn. You know, people don't do that with broccoli. People don't do that with apples. Anytime you see someone getting a little agitated because something's taken from them or a little kind of, um, it just tells me that there's something more going on there that's causing this flavor enhancement that I want to avoid. If I can't make it in my kitchen or know what happens from A to B, I just assume not use it. Any recipe that calls for nutritional yeast is delicious without it. I guarantee it. I don't use it at all. A lot of uh, vegan recipes call for it. Just don't put it in there and you will still like the dish. I promise. So we have to end because it's time and there's so many other great things to do. But thank you all for your questions and for coming. And please come back tomorrow because it's going to be some really good speakers. And let's end with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is coming soon. We thank you, Lord, that he is in the most holy place interceding for us now. And that we are in a process, Lord, of purifying our lives simplifying our lives and our diets so that we can have clearer hearts and clearer minds, Lord, to be ready to meet you. Thank you so much for each person here, Lord. Please bless each person, each child, that they would gain such a blessing from this conference. And we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.